Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is brought to you by Great Hearts Academies, a nonprofit network of K-12 public charter schools offering a rigorous classical liberal arts education grounded in the best of the Western tradition. Great Hearts operates 34 academies in Arizona and Texas, serving over 21,000 students with plans for further growth underway. Great Hearts is in search of exceptional school leaders who embrace a classical and liberal philosophy of education and who possess a well-grounded vision for the moral and intellectual formation of the human person. Learn how you can join a community of classical leaders by visiting greatheartsamerica.org careers. That's greatheartsamerica.org careers. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 46, A New Twist on an Old Favorite. Today's proverb comes from Edmund Burke. I'll read it twice. A spirit of innovation is generally the result of a selfish temper and confined views. Once more, a spirit of innovation is generally the result of a selfish temper and confined views. I've read hundreds, if not thousands of proverbs since starting this show um, around a year ago. And I'm not going to say that today's proverb is the greatest proverb. 
I've ever read, but it is, in terms of structure and brevity, a kind of perfect proverb. It's short, just 15 words. And it contains three significant ideas. We have to ask, what is a spirit of innovation? What is a selfish temper? And what are confined views? I have taught Edmund Burke's Reflections on the Revolution in France, from which today's proverb comes, more times than I can count. I've taught it twice in the last several months, once on Gibbs Classical, and the other in my class at Veritas in Richmond. And when, in my live class in Richmond, we arrived at the passage in the book that contains this proverb, this saying, I told my students in advance, you're not going to like today's class. This proverb confronts in an alarming sort of way the modern man. Not just the modern progressive, but the modern self-professed conservative as well. What is a spirit of innovation? Let me start by saying what a spirit of innovation is not. A spirit of innovation is not a dentist, say, who figures out some slight modification to the standard root canal surgery. And this slight modification allows for less pain, faster recovery time. A spirit of innovation is not a dentist who makes these discoveries, confers with colleagues, writes a paper for some dental journal, gains acceptance from older vetted dentists, and makes a change which slightly improves something good. That's not a spirit of innovation. That's a modification, but it's not innovative. Now, we might describe that sort of fellow as innovative because we think of innovation as high praise. The word innovation has, over the last 250 years, gradually attached itself to the concept of genius. Geniuses are innovators. That's what modern people believe. Of course, the older sense of the word innovative is just pure selfishness, right? Uh, to be accused of innovation as a theologian would get you condemned as a heretic for many hundreds, maybe thousands of years. But innovation is about a rejection of the past. It's about newness. The spirit of innovation is a desire to see new things. It is the want of new things. It's not just a desperate want of things. That's materialist, I suppose. A spirit of innovation is the belief that new things are better because newness is necessarily a desirable quality for a thing to have. The spirit of innovation is directly opposed to 
a spirit of maintenance or a spirit of conservation. Well, a spirit of conservation, at least in our day, entails a certain sort of skepticism towards new things. Not a hatred of new things, but a skepticism towards them. A skepticism that may sometimes even border on cynicism. A spirit of maintenance is deeply hesitant to accept unproven things, novel things, recently improved things, things born out of recent studies. Now, the spirit of innovation and the spirit of maintenance are not objective in and of themselves. You could never trip over the spirit of maintenance. These two rival spirits are manifested in human beings, in human labors, in human art and institutions. While the spirit of innovation and the spirit of maintenance are diametrically opposed, I don't know that anyone I've ever met is purely born of a spirit of innovation. These are, as they are manifested in people and labors and art, they're manifested on a kind of scale. So while innovation and conservation are at odds with one another, I don't know that they are like light switches where you go from being all one way to all another way. There's a lot of in-between. It's a sliding scale. Now, as I was explaining this to my students recently, I said the best way to understand the spirit of innovation is by asking what it means to modernize something. Modernizing a thing really is just the spirit of innovation at work. So we conducted this experiment. I conducted this experiment on my students. I said, I'm going to play you a number of songs, the same song, sung different ways. And this was a little while ago. So the song I chose was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I said, I want to use this as kind of a control. So I chose a version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the first version, the first rendition, was performed by the Winchester Cathedral Choir. And the recording was exactly what you'd expect of the Winchester Cathedral Choir performing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I said to my students, I am not a musicologist, but I would say that this recording of this song, this version arrangement of the song, might be indistinguishable from the song as it was sung for the first time in the Winchester Cathedral hundreds of years ago. There might be very slight variations, but the recording I'm playing you was made in the 1990s, and were it possible to travel through time and go back to 1790 and record a choir in 1790 singing it and play it against the version uh, from you know, the 1990s, I don't know that we could really tell the difference. 
So in that sense, here's our, our control. The Winchester Cathedral Choir version that I'm playing for you, recorded back in the 90s, is as traditional as it gets. So I played, you know, two or three minutes of the song. I said, all right. Now I'm going to play you a different version. So I played them Frank Sinatra singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And on this sliding scale, like I drew this sliding scale on the board, I never do any more a 1 to 10 scale. I always do a negative 10 to positive 10 scale with a big fat zero in the middle. And I've found more thoughtful results from students uh, when asking them to plot points on a sliding scale this way. little teaching hack for you there. So I put Winchester Cathedral Choir version down there at a negative 10. And when I played Sinatra's version, I said, all right, where are we going to put this on the scale? And of course, this is a little unfair because I haven't put a control on the other end of things. Really, because that's not possible, but I'll say more on that later. There really is. If you're going to draw, <laughs> if you're going to draw a sliding scale, and on one end is the spirit of tradition and the other uh, end is the uh, spirit of innovation, there's really no end to the spirit of innovation which is what makes modernization entrancing, but it's also what makes it unstable and ultimately worthless. But as I said, more on that later. Most of the students said for Frank Sinatra, negative five, negative six. And I spent a moment asking them, how is it different? And the students who knew more about music than I did said, well, he's kind of messing with the notes a bit. He's changing. It's syncopated, I think that's what they said. It's also just one man, right? Winchester Cathedral Choir, sounds like a choir, no distinct voice. But Sinatra's high in the mix, right up there, right next to the microphone. You can hear one man singing. Now, I believe that the Sinatra version also had a choir that came in after a little while. The students, understandably, we're not really capable of distinguishing much difference just between these two points, though, Winchester Cathedral and Frank Sinatra. It became easier for them to see what it meant to modernize a thing as the experiment went further. So after Sinatra, Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole's version is, I mean, take the Pepsi challenge, see if it's not true. Pull these up on Spotify on your own. The Nat King Cole version is a little less traditional than the Frank Sinatra version. Although after you've heard a hundred versions of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, really Sinatra and Cole are indistinguishable. Now, I didn't strictly do this in a chronological sort of fashion. Because after Nat King Cole, I played Carrie Underwood. And from Carrie Underwood singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Amy Grant, Vince Garaldi Trio's version from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, and then Hillsong version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And as we went from one of these versions to the next, I was asking all the while, what does it mean to modernize a thing? Now, initially, the answer that I got to this question was 
rather simple. All the students' answers were rather simple up front. They said, well, to modernize a thing means to make it more contemporary, make it more in keeping with modern trends. I said, that's redundant. To modernize a thing is to make it contemporary. What does it mean to contemporize a thing? Like, give me some words, some judgmental words to describe what it means to modernize a thing. Now, I wasn't asking my students also to use the terms traditional and modern in some kind of nuanced philosophical way. Like, the common definitions of these words is sufficient. Now, this is a classic literature class, a class where we talk about philosophy and theology all the time. But I asked them to judge all of these songs as more or less traditional, more or less modern, according to understandings and usages of those words that anybody off the street would be willing and inclined to use. So, I mean, if you pulled some, I mean, it doesn't matter who you voted for, it doesn't matter how much of a secularist you are, what religion you are, what race you are. I mean, if you're talking to people pulled off the street at random in Brooklyn, New York, and you play them the Winchester Cathedral version and the Amy Grant version, and you say, which is more traditional? This 100 out of 100 people are going to say the Winchester Cathedral Choir version is more traditional. Now, you might get some discrepancy in answers if you played uh, you know, Sinatra's version and Cole's version and Amy Grant's version and said, which is most traditional? Eh, might be a slightly tougher call. But the average man knows what the word traditional means. The average man knows what the word modernized means. You don't need a, you don't need a classical education to understand what these words mean. So when we talk, when anyone talks about modernizing a thing, what are the identifiable qualities that attend modernization? Now, this is where the answers got kind of intriguing. To modernize a thing, and this is a, I mean, granted, it's a class of students in a classical Christian school, but it's also a class of students who likes trendy contemporary things. They said, to modernize a thing means to make it more exciting. I said, how? How do you make a thing more exciting? I said, faster. To modernize a thing is to make it faster, to make it louder, to make it more colorful. This was interesting. I wasn't trying to lead anyone in this direction. Clever students said this. Said the modern version is more personal. Hmm. What does that mean, I asked. The response was, well, it's more about the artist and less about the art itself. That's what it meant to make a thing more personal. More about the artist than the art. Moving outside the realm of music, I ask students if we had three different movies that all retold the same story. And one of these movies was made in 1950, one in 1975, one in 2020. Describe the qualities that would make the latter ones different from the earlier ones. They said funnier, more violent, 
more varied and diverse. There's a kind of simplicity or unity to traditional things or older things. And to modernize them means to make them just uh, adopt more styles, more genres. And this was absolutely true. If you pull up the Pentatonix version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, for about 45 seconds, it sounds pretty traditional. And then about 45 seconds in, absolutely everything changes. The genre changes. It sounds more like a club track. It's more R&B. Vocals undulate. Everything gets becomes uh, more sensual. It sounds seductive. That's what a club track is. That's what an R&B song is. Seductive. Bound up within the modernized version of almost anything is the belief that old things are boring, too slow, too confusing, too institutional. Not personal enough, too institutional, too tame, too sexless, too chaste. But also bound up in the modernized version of anything is the belief that making something more personal, more exciting and sexier will make the thing better. Now, I would contend that making it better or more modern really just means making it easier to like. And this is because modern things don't last. As soon as you've come to the belief that a faster, louder, more colorful, more personal, funnier, more violent, and sexier version of a thing is better, you've more or less consigned that thing to a very definite, inevitable sort of future. Namely, that everyone who comes after you will attempt to create a version that makes yours look tame by comparison. So anyone who wants the old version to look tame by comparison will only last until someone else is willing to make yours look tame by comparison. It doesn't take a genius to make something louder and faster. You just turn a dial to the right. You just turn it up to 11. More blood, more guts, more profanity, more color, more sex. Adding all those qualities to a thing are as easy as adding more salt to a recipe. You don't have to, you don't have to go to culinary school to learn how to pour more salt into a pot of soup. You don't go to culinary school to say... Four ounces of cheese? No, eight ounces. That'll make it better. You don't go to culinary school and hear somebody say, yeah, just throw bacon on everything. <laughs> bacon is fashionable because it just makes everything easy to like. Food's boring? Make it exciting. Throw something on it that makes it easy to like. Crispy, fat, savory. Don't let anything on your table that doesn't have these qualities. That's the, the modern way of, of cooking, modern cooking school. Absolutely nothing said about vegetables in modern cooking school. Vegetables are boring. Just add bacon and salt and cheese to everything and ranch. 
if you are the Chili's Corporation or TGI Fridays or Applebee's, it's all just, <laughs> the menu is all just a rearrangement of bacon, cheese, and ranch dressing. That's the modern way of cooking. The reason why modern things don't last is because as soon as you've given yourself over to the more is more philosophy, you've made it easy for everyone who's younger than you to criticize you. Snoop Dogg was in the news recently for criticizing WAP, Song of the Air, according to Pitchfork, because the singers, quote, ought to keep some things private. This is from the fellow whose first record was called Doggy Style. <laughs> you started it. You started it, old man. Somebody that comes after you is just going to be more explicit. And, of course, you can imagine it 20 years from now. The young ladies who created WAP, criticizing some young, new, fashionable singer for being too explicit. Making art that's dirtier and more violent is easy, though. There's, there's probably a dial in some visual software editing program somewhere that can be adjusted to make more digital blood erupt from a digital gunshot wound. There's no dial that you turn that makes something more brilliant, though. <laughs> you can't just flip a switch and make something more interesting. It's easy to make... It's easy to make a skirt shorter. It's hard to make a woman more beautiful. Beauty is not so simple. Sexy is. Beauty is not. Of course, even sexy has this profoundly short shelf life. I mean, how many times... How many times have young people been watching uh, some classic film with their parents, and their parents have to explain, well, she was considered very, very attractive at the time. And the kids are like, this is silly. She looks ridiculous. Look how, look at those shoulder pads. Look at that hair. It's as big as a balloon. Well, it was very attractive at the time. Even something with the kind of perennial fascination that sex has can be turned into something ephemeral and silly when it's modernized. So Burke says, a spirit of innovation is generally the result of a selfish temper and confined views. Now, to modernize a thing is really to make a fortune off of it. If you, make, if you put more sex, more violence, more color, more diversity, more personality into a thing, it's going to be more popular for a short time, and you're going to make a fortune off of it. And the fortune's not going to last, because the song's not going to last, because somebody else is going to do it faster and more colorful, more diverse just a few years from now. So it's based on a selfish temper, Burke says. If you want to make things new, you want to make them more like you. That's really what you want. You want to make them easier, less demanding. Selfish temper and confined views. An inability to see 
10 minutes down the road. New twist on an old favorite doesn't last. That's why the old favorite's the old favorite. So at the end of the day, what becomes of the man with a selfish temper and confined views is that he's constantly remaking everything new and nothing lasts. A spirit of innovation leads to or produces a kind of man or a kind of culture that cannot love anything for more than a few months. Which ultimately means that a spirit of innovation makes you shallow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.